2: And this was the show that taught all us kids an important lesson, which is that interracial marriage, there's nothing strange about it at all. Because we saw on this series a turtle get married to a cat, despite the fact that both of their families said that those two species did not belong together. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic,
0: pretentious 140-character review of your favorite movie? Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com.
2: Hello again, my dear friend, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. We very much appreciate you spending, uh, taking, taking the time to spend about an hour with us here on the show every couple weeks. It comes at you on iTunes, it comes at you on Stitcher, it comes at you on ACAST. And uh, however you want to listen to it, for free to you, as always, from, from our mouths to your ears. I am Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. In a little bit, we'll be welcoming back to the stage our friend and music editor, Andy Sedlak. He took a little absence last week to get his little home studio set up. Uh, And uh, we'll be checking back in with him again this week. So uh, welcome into the show, though. We talk uh, about things all throughout the media wasteland on this show, movies, TV, uh, music as well, things that are available streaming for you, things that are in theaters. But mostly we try to talk about things that are available for you streaming, whether it be on Netflix, on Amazon, on Hulu, on Spotify, on however the hell you like to watch it, on YouTube, wherever you like to go to get your media. And I, I don't think anyone uses just one of them. I think most people use all of them. At least I do, anyways, and I watch too much of everything. Uh, we, we try to tell you what's the garbage, what's the good stuff, what to stay away from, and what you'll dig in a show. Or, you know, if you like this, you'll like this. We try to do that kind of thing on the Stream Police. So welcome in. If this is your first time joining us, if, this is, uh, uh, if you've ridden along with us before, then I uh, appreciate you coming back once again to the Stream Police. All right, let me go ahead and light my stogie up here. As always, smoking my stogie, talking to you in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's just about big enough to where I can open, I can sp- put, if I put my fists in front of my chest, I can spread my elbows apart and my elbows each, like one elbow touches the wall, the other one touches the door of the closet. That's how small this thing is. A little soundproofing on the left side of the wall, a blanket on the right side. I got a jacket in front of me and behind me. I got another big, uh, big wool jacket to my left. So uh lots of lots of good sound homemade soundproofing here for you. That's what we do um in the uh in the DIY world of podcasting here. And it's worked for us for 30 episodes, so I think we'll just keep on going here in the closet. Uh, Let me go ahead and get started by reading a uh, listener email here. We got uh, another email from our friend Kelly. She wrote in, if you'll remember, about a month ago on the show and actually gave me the inspiration for a new segment that I've been doing now for the last three episodes running, um, and that is the greatest greatest TV TV show theme theme song song of all of all time this week. Um, I'll be getting to that in a second. But Kelly writes in, She, I, I guess she's been enjoying the segment because she did write me an email about TV theme songs. She wrote me up and said, did you know the opening theme for Bosom Buddies, which was the Billy Joel hit song, My Life, she says, did you know that that is not the song that plays in front of the show now that it's in syndication? She says, it's not even a cover. It's a new terrible song that I can't even investigate because it's so terrible. I'm sure it's because of rights and licensing, but I wonder why they chose that replacement song. Well, Kelly is referring to, uh, yes, the opening theme song to Bosom Buddies, the Tom Hanks comedy show, one of the like the places where he got his start way back in the day in the 80s. It was a, a cross-dressing uh, sitcom, of all things. And this uh, the theme song that they used, I actually looked it up, and the syndication theme song for Bosom Buddies is... The Stephanie Mills song, Shake Me Loose. So apparently this song, Shake Me Loose, was done as an, in an instrumental and was used in the show a few—I don't know if it was used in the end credits or what— Back in the original run of the series, but apparently that show, this song was part of the show, but they st- decided to add lyrics to it, have Stephanie Mills sing it, and put it at the beginning when they do it in syndication. Obviously, to save money, because uh, I'm guessing Joel asked for way too much money, uh, because my life's a huge hit, and he probably at some point was like, you know what? It's a little embarrassing to have this song paired up with a show uh, where a couple guys cross dress to live in a like a women's dormitory or whatever it was. So let's just uh, l- let's just let's just cut ties now because this is going to be too expensive for you. To use the song. So Stephanie Mills Shake Me Loose is the song they use. Let us hear both songs real quick in honor of Kelly. First we got Billy Joel's My Life.
1: I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all
0: right.
2: You know it, you love it. Now we've got Stephanie Mills and Shake Me Loose.
0: I'd like to be J. Paul Alright mm, all,
2: all right again Joel.
0: I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life.
2: And one more time, the fake ass one from Stephanie Mills.
0: Try you can leave if you got a
2: yeah, Kelly, I think you have a point, but no, I did not uh, did not know. What the song was they used in syndication until I looked that up. Gotta admit, I was never a Bosom Buddies guy. They didn't really they didn't show it on Nick at Night back in the day, and that was the way I got all of my syndicated TV when I was a young one. Uh, So if it wasn't on there, then I really didn't get to watch it. They didn't show it like late night on like like on uh, the local Fox channel here in Cincinnati. They used to show Mash really late at night. They would just show reruns of Mash all the time. They didn't do that with Bosom Buddies for some reason. So I don't know. It was Andy Griffith and Mash, and you know. Never got into Andy Griffith, but anytime time I watched MASH, I did enjoy that one. All right, let's go ahead and get to that segment that the aforementioned Kelly did inspire for us. The greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. This week's selection is a tune called Hey Sandy by the band Polaris from Nickelodeon's The Adventures of Pete and Pete. All right, so Hey Sandy is a tune that is whimsical, it's a little mysterious, and it's 90s as hell, just like the show it opened. The Adventures of Pete and Pete was arguably Nickelodeon's first truly classic original series. If you remember it, then you know why it was so original. It was just so different. I think it's the only show still in history that credits uh, Inanimate Objects, um, In the opening credits, along with the other characters. So, like, they're unveiling the characters, and we see Pete, and then we see Pete. We see Mom, who is credited as Mom. We see Dad, who's credited as Dad. And then we see Mom's plate. The Mom had a a metal plate in her head. We see an X-ray of the plate, and it says Mom's plate during the opening credits. And then we see Petunia. Which I swear to God, Petunia is the sexiest woman who ever appeared on Nickelodeon. Uh, Petunia is the tattoo that the younger brother Pete has on his arm, and she's credited in the opening. Ta- it's a it's a freaking tattoo. The tattoo does not talk or do anything. It's just the the kid's tattoo. It's credited in the opening credits of the show, so it's just fantastic. Pete and Pete was just such a, a unique show. Once again, if you watched it, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, I'm sorry, but you're just gonna have to believe me on this one.
0: I can't stand this shit,
2: the, the title characters were a pair of brothers named Pete and Pete, and they were not twins. They were older and younger brothers, just both of them had the name Pete. They lived with their parents in this small East Coast town, fictional town in the East Coast, and the show first appeared in 1989 in a series of shorts that aired on Nick during breaks between other programming. The show itself debuted on February 9th, 1991, a month before Clarissa Explains It All, five months before Salute Your Shorts, and a full six months before the first Nicktoons aired Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. So Pete and Pete is like the OG of OG Nickelodeon shows, all right? And as I said, this is early 90s. It had this great, grungy rock and roll tune as its opening credits song. <laughs> Hey Sandy. And that opening song, Hey Sandy, was written by a Connecticut musician named Mark Mulcahy, who fronted a band in the 80s called Miracle Legion. He was asked by the show's creators to write a theme song, and they ended up putting together a fake band called Polaris and having them play the tune in the opening credits. So you got this fake band, Polaris, jamming in the family's front yard during the opening credits. If you watch the opening credits, that's what they are. We see a couple clips from the show, and we see this band Polaris jamming out in the front yard. Um, playing the song Hey Sandy, but the band was fake. They were put together just for the show. Now, the song Hey Sandy itself has been the cause of a lot of speculation over the years. Many people have wondered what the third line of the song says, and here's that line. Obviously, when he sings it, it's heavily mumbled. But it seems we finally have the answer. According to live versions of the song played many years later, the line is...
0: Can You Settle a Sure Bet bet.
2: So again, he says, Can You Settle a Sure Bet He's asking He does not ask, Can You Settle to Shoot Me As some have claimed Many have also claimed that this song Is about the 1970s shooting at Kent State University Based on the name Sandy in the title Which is apparently the name of one of the victims And also the vague nature of the lyrics Of course, if you ask me, I say shut up And enjoy this kick-ass guitar solo The Adventures of Pete and Pete ran for just 39 magical, whimsical, weird episodes over three seasons on Nickelodeon ending in December 1996. Polaris, meanwhile, have released a handful of records since 2002 when the collection of tunes they cut for Pete and Pete finally were packaged onto a disc, becoming a cult hit like the show. So we had a TV theme song written by a real musician who was in a fake band that later became a real band because the show had such a cult following that they demanded this band go on tour and play the songs from the show and they have since become a real band who's put out other albums that are not related to this series. Amazing story. There you go. Hey Sandy by Polaris from The Adventures of Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon. That's this week's the greatest TV show theme song of all time. Sandy. Love that song. Love that show. Fantastic. Nickelodeon is what I grew up on watching. I did not watch Disney Channel at all. I was all Nickelodeon all the time. I worshiped it. Nickelodeon, I credit with giving me my love of TV. I watched other things. I watched The Simpsons a lot when I was a little, just a, a little bit older, when I was like about 10. I think I really started watching The Simpsons a lot when it came on in syndication as well. Um, but I watched Nickelodeon, like, nonstop. I mean, from the time I was, uh, I don't know, 5, 6 to about the time I was 10 or so. And then I finally did outgrow it. But it was during that time I'm so grateful that I feel like it was the the best time for Nickelodeon. All these shows were so great then. I know it's probably nostalgia, but these they had so many really cool original shows. They were doing so many things that a network for kids I, I just did not feel like uh, would have been doing um, under any, like, rule book. Uh, that was put out about running a tv uh, network for kids it was just incredible so in honor of talking about pete and pete i want to unveil to you my six favorite 1990s nickelodeon shows ranked in order of greatness on the lord of Hero. Hey,
0: hey. nick nick I'm the I live in number 1 nickelodeon
2: Okay, now you might ask, Clint, why six? Why your six favorite? Why not your five favorite? Ten favorites? Just, you know, one of the normal numbers that we're used to. Three favorite. Why six? Why six? Because it's my show. And I couldn't I couldn't knock any of these off the list. I was going to do five, but I could not knock any of these six off. So these are my definitive six favorite 1990s Nickelodeon shows. Number, number six. Number, number, number. Hey Arnold. It ran for five seasons from 1996 to 2004. It also got its own movie at one point. But the glory days in the late 1990s are what I'm talking about when I refer to Hey Arnold. Why is Hey Arnold listed in my six favorite 1990s Nick shows? Because I feel like this show captured urban life better than any other kids show that I can think of aside from maybe Sesame Street all right Sesame Street is the original great kids show set in the middle of the city uh, it, it's totally urban but I feel like Hey Arnold was really about living in a city it was about urban life these were not kids out in the country these were kids who went to a school that was called like PS 150 or whatever it was I mean it and I had never heard that I had never heard that phrase before because you know I, I didn't grow up in New York I didn't go to a school that had a name like that just PS public school and then some ridiculously high number that totally gives zaps the school of any kind of character you know the school i went to when i was a kid was called bloomfield elementary very flowery right i mean you get a lot of images when you think of bloomfield the kids with the flowers were blooming were growing ps 155 or whatever doesn't give you any kind of picture of what's going on in that school in fact it sounds a little brutal so hey arnold from the start i feel like was just a really cool show that captured urban life Better than I'd ever seen it done in a cartoon. There were no suburbs on this show, and there was a ton of attitude in its characters. This show felt, honestly to me, a lot like Peanuts at times. Obviously, Peanuts was not set in the city, but the characters, there were some similarities in the characters in Hey Arnold and Peanuts. Helga was a lot like Lucy, um, and Arnold was a lot like Chuck. And Lucy was always bullying Charlie Brown. Helga was always bullying Arnold, of course. But Helga had a big crush on Arnold, was the reason why she did that, which was kind of a difference uh, from—that uh, that was where it differentiated from Peanuts. Uh, plus, the fact that this show was set in a boarding house owned by Arnold's grandparents made for plenty of great one-off storylines and one-off characters. Um, and it was just cool to see you know, a show set in a boarding house. It's a, it's a really a good setting for a TV show because, like I said, you can introduce and take away characters— um, you know, as much as you want to, and it doesn't feel forced, doesn't feel fake, it feels natural. In fact, it was just—it was a, a cool setting for a cartoon. Plus, Arnold's grandpa. Here's a little uh, fun fact for you: the the grandfather character on Hey Arnold was voiced by the same guy who voices Homer Simpson, Dan
1: Castellaneta. A grade school diploma—the one thing I've always wanted but never got. Couldn't you go back to school? <laughs> Oh, oh, I can't do that, Arnold. I'm too old. I've lost too many brain cells to make it through grade
0: school. You're not too old, Grandpa, and you've still got plenty of brain cells. No,
2: not since what's you can do. Hey, Arnold, it was a magical show, and it's my sixth favorite show of 1990's Nick Greatness. Number five on my list, All That, which ran for ten seasons from 1994 to 2005. I swear to God, I thought All That was the height of comedy when I was a kid. This show, if you're not familiar with it, was a weekly half-hour sketch show aimed at teenagers, and this was a great idea for a TV show. And the cast was really was pretty strong right from the start, and I think it had to be for the show to be successful from the go. I mean, this was essentially a teenage version of Saturday Night Live. It was not live; uh, it was all taped, which was very clear. But still, I mean, it was it's a cool idea for a show and, and perfect to be on Nickelodeon. Keenan and Kel, Keenan Thompson, and Kel Mitchell, they were the stars of the show. They were the breakout people, and obviously Keenan ended up going on to SNL. Um, they were like the anchors of the show in the early days. But to me, it was always all about Lori Beth Denberg. If you remember her and her vital information for your everyday life, that was what made me laugh the most. Lori Beth Denberg and her vital information.
0: And now, Lori Beth Denberg with more vital information for your everyday life. It's rude to talk with your mouthful. It's even ruder to blow your nose in your sister's pants. LBD
2: was the real MVP of all that, if you ask me. Plus, this show was so cool, it had a theme song by TLC in 1994. So all that, my fifth favorite Nickelodeon show from the 1990s.
1: You'll seem peculiar if you go up to your principal and say, Hey, how's your butt?
0: This has been Lori Beth Denberg with Vital Information.
2: Number four on my list is the great Doug, which ran for four seasons on Nick from 1991 to 1994. Then it was taken by Disney, and it ran there for even more seasons. One of the original three OG Nicktoons, Doug, featured great voice work, outstanding original music, memorable animation, and a relatable main character. Doug was an awesome show. So the setup of Doug is it's a boy, his dog, and his best friend, basically against the world in this little no-name town Uh, the reason I like Doug so much I think is because it was such a sweet show and when I look back on it that's what I really remember about it this show was not antagonistic it was not irritating it was not annoying it was not violent it was just uh, like a show that just made you feel good made you feel good about yourself made you really love these characters even the quote-unquote bad guys you know weren't too nasty. I mean, it was just, it was a sweet show, but without being like, you know, syrupy and stupid, it was, uh, it, it was really, I just felt like grounded in real life and what you go through when you're a preteen. It had a lot of good life lessons for kids uh, to watch and especially preteen kids, as I said, in middle school, about to go into high school. Um, and and Doug was just such an awkward but sweet kid uh, that it made for just such great viewing. Um, and I, I, I love this show dearly. Doug, one of my all-time favorite shows on Nickelodeon, but screw the Disney version. I stopped watching it at that point. They like, completely changed it up anyways, but Doug was great when it was on Nickelodeon. Four magical seasons from 91 to
0: 94.
2: <laughs> and Doug is my fourth favorite Nickelodeon show from the 1990s. Let's move on to number three, The Wren and Stimpy Show. Ren and Stimpy ran for five seasons from 1991 to 1994. Five, a show, again, about a pair of best friends. We've got a Chihuahua dog with a uh, with the attitude of the biggest dog you've ever seen in your life and a really weird-looking cat who is so stupid and lovable uh, you could not help but want to get close to Stimpy. This was another of the original three Nicktoons with Doug and with Rugrats. Without Ren and Stimpy, there would be no South Park, and there would definitely be no Adult Swim, and I I will stand by that statement 100%. I think Ren and Stimpy invented that that kind of cartoon humor. I'm not saying obviously the Simpsons was around before before uh, the Ren and Stimpy show and people were doing great things with the animation, but Ren and Stimpy just it was so offbeat, so different. I don't I wouldn't draw a lot of comparisons between Ren and Stimpy and the Simpsons, but I would draw a lot of comparisons between Ren and Stimpy and South Park and definitely between Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead. As a kid, I didn't get many of the jokes or the sexual innuendo that was being thrown around in this show, but that made me like it even more, and I still thought the show was hilarious. It was like some of the jokes like went over my head. And I didn't really understand it, but I knew it was funny, like my dad would laugh at it or something, so I knew it had to be funny. I knew there was something there, and it made me just really respect the show more. I was one of these kids who thought of comedy as being like a science Um, From an early age I just wanted to know What it was That made people laugh What was funny Um, What were they talking about You know Why wasn't I getting it And Ren and Stimpy Was one of those First shows for me Probably the first show For me Where I felt like I didn't get the jokes But I still thought It was hilarious And it made me Really want to work To understand What they were talking about There's so many Oddball characters And moments That could only happen On Ren and Stimpy And if you watch the show You know what I'm talking about There was a guy Named Powdered Toast Man As one character On the show (laughs)
0: Too strong. Quick, man, cling tenaciously to my buttocks.
2: There was a guy named Mr. Horse.
0: Today, we're at the UN for a global summit to discuss the current world crisis. Today's residing chairman is Mr. Horse.
2: There was a dude who wore rubber nipples on his kneecaps. So, nipples, huh? Hmm. No, sir, I don't think I have
0: any use for rubber nipples.
2: And, of course, there was a great toy... That was just a wooden log, and it was called Log, and it had a great theme song.
0: It's Log long, it's fake, it's heavy, it's wood. It's long, long, it's better than that, it's
2: good. Used to get that song stuck in my head all the damn time. The Ren and Stimpy Show, my third favorite show on Nickelodeon in the 1990s. All right, let's move on. We're in the heavy hitters now. Number two. Are You Afraid of the Dark, which ran for five seasons from 1992 to 1996. If you watched Are You Afraid of the Dark, you know what it's like to be scared to death, cowering under your sheets when you're just a little kid. And you're too old to, like, go get in bed with your parents, but you really want to do that at this point. This was the show that made me love anthology series. I swear to God, if it were not for Are You Afraid of the Dark, I probably would not have loved The Twilight Zone as much as I did when I first got into it. Because I think part of it, when I first watched The Twilight Zone, was I was like, oh my God. I've seen this before. This is Are You Afraid of the Dark, which obviously came way later and 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 ripped off the style of The Twilight Zone and paid homage to it. But, you know, in my mind, this is what I went back to. I went back to Are You Afraid of the Dark and how much I loved watching this show. The show was about a group of kids called The Midnight Society who got together around a campfire each week. And every time they would tell a new story and we get a 30 minute episode about some eerie tale with new characters, new actors every week. Um, in the In the main part, sometimes the endings to the the episodes were pleasant, other times they were flat out brutal, and they taught you a lesson the show 's theme song used to creep me out big time, and the part at the end where they poured a bucket of water on the campfire really scared the crap out of me. I do not know why, but that theme song man, that thing cranks up, and you start seeing like a creaky swing in black and white, and you get up to a a, a scary looking attic and there 's like a clown doll sitting there, just very eerie stuff. Uh, that only lasted for about 30 seconds, but would scare the hell out of you when you're just like an 11-year-old kid watching Nickelodeon on a Saturday night. Actually, I guess it, it ended in 96, so it couldn't have been 11 years old. Young, even younger than that, but show was ruthlessly scary, and just really, it was a cool show, man. I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark? Dearly, it's my number two greatest show on Nickelodeon in the 1990s. And that gets us to number one. What's the best show on Nickelodeon in the 1990s, in my humble opinion? I-M-H-O. Number one, there is no other, with a bullet. It's Rocco's Modern Life, four seasons from 1993 to 1996. It's the greatest show on Nickelodeon in the 1990s.
1: Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life.
2: Hands down. We started with a theme song from the B-52s. This show did not run the longest. It didn't sell the most t-shirts. But it was so original, so funny, and so wacky that it cannot be denied, in my opinion. Rocco's Modern Life followed an Australian immigrant wallaby named Rocco... Who lived in this generic American town called O Town, where he works at a comic book store that's called Kind of a Lot of Comics. He hangs out with a shameless cow named Heifer and a an neurotic turtle named Filbert, who sounds like a Woody Allen character. He basically sounded like Woody Allen.
0: The problem with comic books is the ink comes off on your hands. Every time you turn the page, you have to wash your hands. You turn the page, you wash your hands. You turn the page, you wash your hands.
2: Everything in this show was a joke. It was fantastic. The name of the town, the names of the businesses, the signs in the background. The whole show was all about the boredom of everyday life. And I read a stat that said, like, 20% of the audience of Rocco's Modern Life, when it first aired, were adults. I mean, that's 20%. This is a kids' network. This was not a network... Four adults that happened to have a kid's show on it. It was a kid's network. So these adults had to find this show. or These were parents who their kids watched it and they were like, holy shit, this is a funny show. So Rocco's Modern Life was pulling the adults in at an early age. And now, of course, that's commonplace for kids' shows. All the kids' shows try to do that. But this was really one of the first to do it after, of course, the aforementioned Ren and Stimpy. Rocco was an experience, and anyone who watched it could never forget the style of this show. It was just so different, so funny, so edgy, and just freaking cool, man. I loved it. I wanted to hang out in O-Town. I wanted to hang out with Heffer and Rocco and Filbert and, and run around with these guys. And this was the show that taught all us kids an important lesson, which is that interracial marriage, there's nothing strange about it at all. Because we saw on this series a turtle get married to a cat, despite the fact that both of their families said that those two species did not belong together. Amazing lesson taught to you by Rocco's Modern Life. This show, to me, was the direct link between Ren and Stimpy and SpongeBob SquarePants, which would be uh, arguably Nickelodeon's biggest hit ever, besides maybe Rugrats. But Rocco's Modern Life, number one with a bullet for me, the greatest show on Nickelodeon in the 1990s. I miss it dearly. I'd love to get it on DVD.
0: Ah, 1456910. Come in,
1: have a seat. Good news! You're being promoted from job
0: title 612 to job title 814 due to biome statistics. Uh, excuse me, sir, but could I just. I'm with somebody!
1: Biome statistics and the hiring freeze we're currently experiencing, we have to cut holes in our workforce to eliminate counterproductivity. Right? Uh, what does that mean?
0: You're fired! <laughs> <laughs>
2: Couple honorable mentions, couple of shows that almost made my top six that I also loved on Nickelodeon. Nick Arcade, if you remember that one. Legends of the Hidden Temple. Guts. Salute Your Shorts. Kablam. And Ah, Real Monsters. Those are the shows. Uh, that if I was going to expand the list, would be on there. I also, I liked Rugrats, too, but, man, the voices were just a little grating at times, and it, I think it just went on too long, and they were adding new characters, and it, it jumped the shark. I mean, when they added Dylan, let's not, let's not kid ourselves, it jumped the shark. All these other shows I'm talking about, none of them jumped the shark. They ran for four or five seasons apiece. It was perfect. They capped them off. They were great shows. No bad memories of any of those. If you have a favorite Nickelodeon show of all time, I'd love to hear it because I know this is a hot topic. So if you're, you know, if you grew up watching Nick, watching Snick, whatever it is, that, Teen Nick, whatever they renamed it later, shoot me an email at theclintdavis at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at Mr. Clint Davis and tell me whether I'm off base or right on with my picks of the six best 1990s Nickelodeon shows. One more time for you. Hey, Arnold, all that. Doug, Ren & Stimpy, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and Rocco's Modern Life. With that, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to welcome back on stage for the first time in a few weeks our friend and music editor, Andy Sedlak. Take it away, Mr.
1: Sedlak. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, What can I say? It's uh, it's great to be back. After 26 consecutive shows on a bi weekly basis for well over a year, I missed a show. Here's what happened I switched jobs, and that has been a great thing. Literally, the only downside is that by leaving my previous employer, I also lost like my $100,000 recording studio. That's why I may sound a little different. You may hear a little more echo this time around. Like Clint, my digs are now quite humble. I am in my basement. It is unfinished. There's not much down here. Uh, we moved in in November. I took the liberty, actually, of uh, pinning up half-eaten rugs that my, uh, that my dog got a hold of. Uh, those rugs are on two walls down here to help absorb the sound. I've got a beautiful microphone. It's expensive. It was a gift. Uh, thank you to my lovely wife very nice i 'm um, editing on uh, i 'm editing on audacity instead of uh, the professional editing program I used to use at work it 's not all bad. Um, I want to make sure I underscore that it is not all bad. I am now on my own turf and you can do certain things that uh that you couldn't when you were at work Clint likes to light up a stogie myself I have a gin and tonic right in front of me I won't tell you whether this is my first glass or my fourth we'll see if you can uh tell as we move along here so what's happened in the (laughs) what's happened in the month since we talked well Taylor Swift broke up with uh With Calvin Harris...
0: Not only are Taylor Swift and Calvin Harris Forbes' highest-paid celebrity couple, they are also insanely happy together. Calvin opened up about their relationship on Kiss FM, UK's breakfast show,
1: saying that things are, quote, going absolutely fantastic with his lady-love, T-Swizzle. And by the way, they are now saying that Taylor Swift knew and approved that controversial lyric in Kanye West's song, Famous, after it was released, Swift... Uh, was upset that Kanye said he used the line. The line of the song is, I made that bitch famous, referring to Taylor Swift. But now, West folks say that she actually approved that lyric, that song famous on his last record, The Life of Pablo. Paul Simon put out a new record called Stranger to Stranger. It's a bit on the uh, eclectic side. It's a bit on the electronic side which he's embraced before. I actually love an album that came out in 2006 called Surprise. There's a song called Outrageous, there's a song called How Can You Live in the Northeast?
0: How can you live in the Northeast? How can you live in the South? How can you live on the banks of a river when the flood water pours from the mouth?
1: Great stuff. Very modern. In terms of its production, this time around, I recommend a song called "Wristband."
0: Wristband, my man, you got to have a wristband. If you don't have a wristband, my man, you don't get
1: through the door. There's, a, there's another song, "Cool Papa Bell," that's gotten a lot of attention. Critics love it, but in my opinion, it's it's just jammed up lyrically. He loses the melody, and his jokes don't land.
0: Motherfucker. Ugly word. Ubiquitous. often heard as a substantive for someone's Christian name. I'm thinking, the word is ugly, all the same. Ugly, got a chase to make. It's not like every rodent gets a birthday cake.
1: Let me circle back to, um, to pop music a little bit more. Um... You all know One Direction. You likely know the guy who left, uh, a guy named Zayn Malik. He had a big hit with a song called Pillow Talk. So the song debuted at number one. A quick Google search will reveal it was uh, only the 25th song ever to debut at number one, and he's the first artist from the UK to debut at number one with that debut single. So he's the first artist with a debut single that debuted at number one. He's also popular in the UK, of course. That is where he's from. The song Pillow Talk debuted at number one there as well. It's plain to see that Zayn Malik has a lot of two things. One is money, the other is fans. So hopes were high in mid-June, when he was set to make his solo debut in the UK. It was supposed to be at an event called the, uh, let me see if I could find it, I've got notes here somewhere, it's called the, the Capital FM Summertime Ball, that's where this debut was supposed to take place, his live solo debut, but he cancelled At the last minute, no less. And I do mean at the very last minute. Fans were waiting for him to take the stage. Somebody came on the PA and said that it wouldn't be happening. Like so many 22-year-olds do, Malik took to Facebook. It was anxiety, he said. Anxiety. And I've, I've actually got his post pulled up. He said, and I quote, I flew to the UK last night to appear in my home country in front of my family, friends, and most importantly, my UK fans. Unfortunately, my anxiety that has haunted me throughout the past few months around live performances has gotten the better of me. With the magnitude of the event, I've suffered the worst anxiety in my career. I cannot apologize enough. But I want to be honest with everyone who patiently waited to see me. I promise I will do my best to make this up to everyone I've let down today. I know those who suffer with anxiety will understand. And I hope those who don't can empathize with my situation. "Quote: guy's got money. He's got fans right in front of him. Pop accolades. So many tangible things that a person could point to to muster up confidence, and yet anxiety still won out. This has been a phenomenon in music ever since music began. Barbara Streisand, of all people, virtually quit performing live for almost 30 years after forgetting the lyrics to a song in concert in 1967. How did she get over it? Well, it took her a long time. Again, she took medication, went through some therapy, very serious case of stage fright. Adele, one of the most naturally gifted singers on the planet, has stated on the record several times, actually, that she doesn't care for touring. She panics. She gets anxiety attacks. As she's thrown up. She fled a dressing room before a show in Brussels. It happens to folks that, that you may least expect. Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne, of all people. Maybe he put it best, actually. Wrote in his 20, uh, 2010 autobiography... To say I suffer from pre-show nerves is like saying that when you get hit by an atom bomb, it hurts a bit. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the fear of performance can place a heavy toll on a person's confidence and self-esteem. Of course, this is where self-medicating enters the picture. Think of it like a Band-Aid. If these people get sober later on, one of the greatest hurdles then is, again, trying to conquer that fear of being inadequate on stage. Count Joe Walsh in that camp. Zayn Malik said anxiety has haunted him, again, over the last few months. This kind of thing can be temporary, and it's no wonder that it hit during the peak of his professional career. Amazing stuff.
0: My enemy, my
1: I confess, so I do feel a little funny talking about pop music sometimes, like I'm too old for it. I'm pushing 30, for Christ's sake. It's getting harder and, and harder to keep up. It's like more often somebody will throw a no- name out there, and, and I'm the guy who says, who? Like, I ask that question more often, who? Thinking about pop music here, frankly, I'm well past the point of wanting to care. Let's face it, the... Music itself is marketed toward uh, preteens through folks in their early 20s. So if you're like me, and you're losing your grip on pop music, don't sweat it. It's not meant for you anyway. (laughs) They're not making their money off of you. Frankly, you're a bonus if you're buying it. So much of it is so similar, I know that that sounds like a uh, like i'm I'm painting it with a broad brush. It is how I feel it 's just too similar to even have an opinion on one song isn't better or worse than the one before it it 's just about the same it's like uh the same three guys are writing all the hits anyway, and they're cranking them out like widgets. Copycats are out vocal styles uh are imitated. Look at dea she 's from pittsburgh, but somehow she's Develop the same accent as Rihanna.
0: Boys seem to like the girls who laugh at anything. The wines will get undressed before the second day. Girls seem to like the boys who don't appreciate all the money and the time that it takes.
1: She she does. She sounds like Rihanna. All right now here is Rihanna. She's straight imitating her voice. I'm curious to know if that bothers you. Don't be a critic, just as a listener. Do you enjoy it less when you can tell that there's imitation going on? Like the number of performers that suffer from stage fright, there's also a long line of copycats in the music business, particularly in mainstream music. One of my favorites is John Cafferty, who patterned every breath he ever took after Bruce Springsteen. Here's
0: Bruce.
1: And here's John Cafferty. To me, John Cafferty basically (laughs) played in a Bruce Springsteen cover band only with original songs. That being said, I enjoyed it. I just don't take it seriously. And there's Ariana Grande. She has taken more than a page or two from uh, Mariah Carey's book. Steeler's Wheel and Jerry Rafferty owe a ton to Bob Dylan. Here's Steeler's Wheel.
0: Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you.
1: And here's Bob.
0: Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. Do the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you.
1: The list goes on. Uh, and frankly, <laughs> that leads us straight into this week's Bombs of the Week. These are landmines. These songs are straight. Poison, do not consume, people will think less of you. First on the list is Me Too by Megan Trainer. If I
0: was you, I'd wanna be me too. I'd wanna be me
1: too. It's just so bratty. Next is me, myself, and I from G Easy.
0: I'm trying to be cool, but I may just go anxious say fuck y'all to all of y'all faces.
1: Again, completely geared toward the selfie generation. Third on the list, Head Over Boots. Second
0: is Cut It. Cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it,
1: cut it, cut it,
0: Cut it. cut
1: it. It. It's rap for simpletons. Uh, in, in, and finally it it's sit still and look pretty by our girl Deo. She's going for the feminist thing there, which is admirable, but, but god she you know she's so young, she's seventeen, and it deals with a deep topic. But unfortunately, in a very surfacy way. It is an admirable topic to tackle, but as LeBron James says, you got to execute. Now, my friends, we direct our attention to the main event. These are songs to add immediately to our ever growing Stream Police playlist. First, Shine a Light by the Rolling Stones. Need a then depot depot by tom waits
0: depot depot what am i doing here i ain't coming i ain't going my confusion is short outside the midnight wind is blowing six seven
1: And you're going to get yours by Public Enemy. Fourth on the list, we're going to stick with the old school hip-hop here. Mind Playing Tricks on Me, this is by The Ghetto Boys.
0: I live by the swallow. I take my boys everywhere I go because I'm paranoid. I keep looking over my shoulder, and peeping around comies. My mind is playing tricks on me.
1: And finally, one more hip-hop song to round this out from 1999's Slim Shady LP. It's Rock Bottom by Eminem.
0: But it's the evil that made me this the deceitful and shady I want the money, the women, the fortune and fame it means I end up burning in hell, scorching in flames But means I'm stealing the check, and forging the name This lifetime list for eternal torture and pain Cause right now, I feel like I just hit the rock bottom I got problems, now everybody on my block got them I'm screaming like them two cops when cops shot them Folding two locks, hope your door's got new locks on them My daughter's feet ain't got no shoes or socks on em. And them And the rings you're
1: wearing look like they got a few rocks on them and while you flaunt them i could be taking them to shops to pawn them i got a couple of rings and a brand new watch you want them cause i ain't never went gold off one song i'm running up on someone's lawn with guns drawn. that's rock bottom this life makes you
0: mad enough to kill. that's rock bottom when you want something bad enough to steal. that's rock bottom when you feel like you've had enough to hear because you mad enough to scream but you're sad enough to that's rock bottom this life makes you mad enough to kill. that's rock bottom when you want something bad enough to steal. that's rock
1: That's it. Great to be with you guys once again. Behave yourselves for once. I'll talk to you later. Peace.
2: And I'm back with you. The closet is uh, smoking right now. It's about a hundred degrees in here, and you know I'm not going to make it any better by uh, relighting my stove. Hold on a second. Uh, but you can't beat the scent, my friends. Can't beat the scent. If they find my charred body in here one of these days, this uh, an unfinished recording will be, I guess, my last record of existence. Um, I'm Clint Davis, once again the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Thank you very much, Andy, uh, for uh, telling us what's piping through the earbuds this week. Glad to be, uh, glad to have you back on the show here. And thank you very much, my friend, for listening. Let's go ahead and get back to the small screen, if you'll permit me. And now in honor of the Brexit, which has been all over the news for the last week, I want to talk about a current British television show that I've been watching and that is now streaming. All right, let's talk about Black Mirror. It was a show that originally aired in Great Britain on Channel 4, publicly funded uh, television station there. That's another answer to the BBC. And uh, it streams right now on Netflix. Netflix actually bought the rights to this show for the future, so they will be the exclusive home uh, for Black Mirror going down the road. It's kind of a sad thing what they did to Channel 4, who really found this show, took a chance on it, and it paid off for them and it became a huge hit for them, and now they've abandoned That original network for Netflix, which I I just I think is kind of a it's kind of a sad thing because they did uh, do great things on Channel 4. So uh, Black Mirror has run so far for two seasons and one Christmas special totaling for seven episodes. Only with British TV can you have a two season run with seven total episodes. So, uh, yeah, Black Mirror, this is an anthology series that runs along the lines of the aforementioned Are You Afraid of the Dark and The Twilight Zone. But the twist on this show is it has an exclusive focus on technology and how it can ruin our lives. Black Mirror, the title of the series, comes from a nickname for TV, the TV being called. The Black Mirror, of course, where we watch, um, you know, our lives now at this point with reality TV, but the lives of others being played out on this black mirror that we sit in front of all the time, and that we talk about to you uh, every couple weeks here on the Stream Police. So, uh, Black Mirror is really all about how technology can affect our lives. Each episode follows. If you don't know what anthology series means, and I just I throw that that word around a lot because it's. Uh, a type of show that i love dearly i think i think it can be the greatest genre of tv uh, but I, it might not be one that you're familiar with. And an anthology show is a show that changes its cast with every episode. So every episode, we've got an, a new story. Really, every episode is more like a movie than an episode of a continuing show. These these episodes do not exist. They may exist in, in one universe, but they uh, do not have the same characters. They don't have the same actors. They often don't even have the same writers um, or directors. It's just it's kind of every episode is its own beast. And I think I mean those kind of shows, man, when they're working. And and they're working well. It's just it's almost impossible to beat them. So Black Mirror, it, it's, it's a promising premise because it is all about technology. And obviously, that's something that we uh, it's indispensable at this point in our lives. Most of the episodes of Black Mirror are cautionary tales, but some of them are simply tragedies and others are reminders of how cruel humans can be. But every single one of the episodes is set in a world with slightly futuristic technologies that are essential to the stories that play out. And I say slightly futuristic because this show does not exist in some really far-off fantasy future. It exists in a future that could be right around the corner, honestly, at the rate that we're progressing. I mean, the technologies they use do not seem like something out of science fiction. It seems like something out of um, you know, the Apple laboratories that they could be working on right now or what's going on at Google or, you know, whatever. It seems like something that could be developed right now under our noses. So at least for me, I didn't see, I can't think of a, a single, I've watched the entire run of the series now. I can't think of a single moment where I was like, ah, that's far-fetched. I I, I don't buy that. Well, okay, there is one. There is one where uh, a, a, like, replica of a person is recreated from all their memories, their their selfies, their voice uh, recordings, videos that they posted on Facebook and social media. So after a person dies, they can essentially come back to life as this like robotic clone of that person. It's a little far-fetched that the like robotic body would look that realistic. Um, but the idea of recreating someone from social media to me is not that far-fetched. Now, Black Mirror, I am not going to rave about because I did not love this show. I went into it expecting me to love it because Netflix thought I'd give it a five star. They're usually pretty accurate with me because I've watched so much stuff on there. They know me pretty well. I heard a lot of really good things about this series. Uh, it's, It's a very intellectual kind of show, so I thought... I'd really dig it, but I did not love this show. I'm not going to rave about Black Mirror. I found it to be very hit and miss, and it was mostly miss until the last couple episodes. I think the first few were rough for me. I did not really get into them. I didn't really get into it until about the fifth episode of uh, seven of them. So again, at the tail end, I think it got much stronger. And I think the last episode, the Christmas special, is the best episode of the entire run of the show so far. I loved a couple of the episodes, especially, as I said, the 75-minute Christmas special, which is the final one on Netflix right now. But I disliked more of them than I liked. I found the first four episodes to be sexist. I thought they had sexist overtones that I could not deny, and that made me really just— disappointed in the writing as I was watching him. I'll run those down for you. The first episode completely ignores its pitiful excuses for female characters and also has an instance of my number one pet peeve in movies and TV, which you'll know if you've listened to this show before. I've talked about it multiple times. I talked about it at length in an episode of this podcast. That is when you've got a female reporter who's a character and she has to use sex to do her job. She does not use reporting skills. She doesn't use any Any of the things at her disposal, her her brains, anything, she uses sex to get scoops. That happens all the time. Almost every movie and TV show about journalism, the female reporter always does that. And I've run down the examples before. I'm not going to do it again, Um, but you can check back in an old episode, one of our first episodes here, I talk about that at length. But it happens again in the first episode of Black Mirror, and I could not believe it. I'm like, oh, my God, the ultimate cliche. Again, here's a female reporter taking naked pictures of herself to send to somebody to give her a scoop. Unbelievable. Episode two presented women as, a, as mentally frail, easily susceptible people who need a knight to rescue them from making really bad decisions that are obviously horrible decisions. What I took away from Episode 2 was leave a great choice that's morally obvious up to a woman, and she'll definitely make the wrong choice. Poor woman. So that was the second episode. Episode 3 of Black Mirror presented its lone female character— as an unreliable liar who made her controlling psycho boyfriend appear to actually be justified in his character flaws so that was impressive in its own right and finally episode 4 showed women as clingy people who are unable to let go and move on with their lives after a traumatic event so i just i think this show really really did a disservice to the great female actors that were working on it and in creating its female characters it was just really poorly done, I feel like, especially through the first four episodes. I mean, I'm not one of those people who watches a show and I'm looking for reasons to say that it sucks. I like to like a show. And I like to come on this show and tell you about one that I enjoyed so you can check it out. But I couldn't deny it for the first four. I'm like, oh my god, that first episode, it felt so sexist. Second episode, holy crap, it was even worse. Third and fourth, oh my god, is this show just, like, the most misogynistic show of all time? I don't know. Finally they got, they, they righted the ship ...a little bit with the fifth episode, which was a fantastic episode that I really enjoyed. The only ones I really enjoyed in the entire run of the show, which again, it's only seven episodes, episodes five and episode seven are the only two that I really liked. I thought episode six was just boring, pointless, and stupid. It wasn't sexist, I just I didn't think it was any good. Both of those episodes that I liked were extremely dark, and they ended with brutal forms of punishment that were made possible only by futuristic technology. So maybe I just like to watch people get hurt. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. That's a discussion for another day and possibly for another couch. Uh, but those are the the ones I liked. Episodes 5 and 7 of Black Mirror, you watch those two, I think you really dig them. Part, episode 2 was was decent. It was my favorite of the early ones, but it wasn't. Again, it's still, it, it ended and, and kind of ruined it for me.
0: Because we're so out of our minds with desperation. We don't know any better. All we know is fake fodder and buying shit. That's how we speak to each other, how we express ourselves is buying shit. The, well, I have a dream. The peak of our dreams is a, a new act for our doppel. A hat that doesn't exist. It's not even there. We buy shit. It's not even there. Show us something real and free and beautiful. You couldn't, yeah? It break us. We're too numb for it, and might as well choke. It's only so much wonder we can bear. That's why when you find any wonder whatsoever, you dole it out in meager portions. And only then, till it's augmented and packaged and pumped through 10,000 pre-assigned filters, till it's nothing more than a meaningless series of lights.
2: And there are some impressive actors on this show. As with all anthology series, you get, you get the chance to bring in great actors because they don't have to do full series worth of work. They're able to pop in for an episode, do it, and then leave and get a great part out of it. Really good writing usually on anthology series. The notable actors in the first seven episodes of Black Mirror, we've got guys like John Hamm, we've got Donald Gleason, uh, Rory Kinnear, and Haley Atwell, who really all four did interesting performances. Especially, Haley Atwell and Donald Gleeson appeared together as a romantic couple in one episode, um, and it was fun to watch those two actors work together because it's just it's fantastic acting, especially for television. I also will praise Black Mirror because of how the show looks. I love how this show looks. The production values are moving. Quality, and they present like this stripped down vision of the future rather than a fantastic one. We're not I mean, these are not people walking around like in, you know, shiny spacesuits is what we're wearing in the future. Um, it, it's it, it's clothing that obviously is relatable to now. It's decor that's relatable to now. It's just the technology's pushed up maybe a few decades. And the dependence on technology in this series is really at an extreme. Uh, Not that it's not in our world, but it's it's even more an extreme here, and it costs characters their lives in a few cases during this show. It's exciting to see where the episodes go, as it is with any anthology show. I know if you watch, like, The Twilight Zone, you're you're always trying to guess the ending, and you love it when you can't guess it. You love it when Rod Serling... Um, ...fools you, when he gets one by you. And, And that's how it is with this show as well. You're trying to guess the ending. But honestly, I was not floored by the endings to most of these episodes... Um, it it just, I don't think it it was great at that, at turning the ending and making you like, oh my God, except for really, again, a couple times. And the reason I was floored by the endings is because they were so brutally, uh, just desolate. And, and that to me is always a good way to kind of end things. I recommend Black Mirror only if you absolutely love anthology shows, because it's definitely well-made television, but I think fans of the show fashion it as something more unique and more intelligent than it actually is. I mean, really, I- I've seen these storylines done before. We've seen almost every storyline done in this show uh, somewhere before. So it's not really like reinventing the wheel here or anything. It's just it's another anthology show, and it's not the best anthology show I've ever seen, not by a mile. But you know what? I'll keep watching it. I'll keep watching if they keep making them. And at just seven episodes, this is a very easy show to squeeze into your slate. It, each episode is an hour long, a little less than an hour, except for the, the final episode, which was 75 minutes. Short episodes, seven episodes long. I mean, again, anyone can watch this entire series. And if you love anthology shows, definitely give it a watch. But those are about the only people I'd recommend. And if you love sci-fi, give it a watch. But if you're like looking for your next episode. Obsession. I don't know if it's going to be Black Mirror. You want something uh, that's easy to fit into your show viewing schedule? This is about as easy as it gets. It's about as low impact as it gets. Give it a watch, but it's not going to make you feel good about anything.
0: Claire found out I was involved and took what you might call a dim view. She blocked me. You ever been blocked?
1: I've had enough, Matthew. It's done. Stop, not Matthew, this time. Not.
0: Drives you crazy. Why? Once they hit that button, that's it. You're locked out. End of conversation. You can't hear or speak to them. They can't hear or speak to you. Every time you look at them, there's just this anonymous shape.
2: And finally, I'll leave you with a movie review, something that is right now on DVD, also streaming for purchase. Um, and on Blu-ray as well, however you want to watch it. Or as I would say with this movie, ignore that it even exists and do not watch it ever. It's Hail Caesar, uh, directed, edited, produced, and written by the great Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, who've given us really some of the most original and fantastic American movies of the last 20 years. Fargo, The Big Lebowski, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, Raising Arizona, um, some, really some amazing films. Barton Fink. Uh, I mean, these guys have... They really they didn't miss much in the early days of their career. they've missed a few times here and there, and Hail Caesar might be the biggest miss of their entire careers. My wife and I went and saw this movie uh, earlier this winter when it first came out. I didn't even talk about it on the show because I thought it was it was just horrible. I could not believe how bad uh, the film was. It wasn't funny at all. It possibly had the worst ending, the single worst like ending shot ending scene that I've ever watched. like no one knew it was over. You know what I'm saying? Like no one knew how to react. Like, was that funny? Was that is it over? Can I leave now? Everyone like wanted to leave already, but it was just it was it's so such a bad miscalculation of a movie. Absolutely nothing worked in the movie. None of the jokes worked, none of the performances worked, everyone looks bored in the entire film, everyone looks confused. And we're talking about some of the best actors. In modern cinema history, the star of the movie is George Clooney. We've got Josh Brolin. We've got Ray Fine. We've got Jonah Hill. All these guys are these are Oscar winners, Oscar nominees. Tilda Swinton, Frances McDormand. Those are two of the best female actors of this or any time, to be honest with you. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's also in it. Channing Tatum. I mean, it is a great cast. I'm telling you. Fantastic cast. Michael Gambon does the narration. If I were just going to read this cast to you, you would you I mean, you'd shit your pants going, oh, my God, this has got to be the best movie ever. But trust me, it's it's not worthy of any of those actors that I just list. Not not a single one, not worthy of any of them. Uh, The only person that I will praise in this entire film um, is a kid named Alden Ehrenreich. Alden Aaron Reich. He's 26 years old. A uh, kid out of L.A. Um, who played in this movie he played like this western actor this western film star um who you know is really good with a lasso and riding a horse and this kid was so good he, he was actually uh he was actually really fun to watch funny to watch he did his he, he did his lines best of anyone and he seemed to get it so i, I think uh, he's the lone bright point i can point to but hail caesar in case you're wondering what it's about it was a, a, it's really just twisty plot that does not Lend itself to being described by anyone, but it follows Josh Brolin's character, who's the head of production at a, uh, a fictional film studio called Capital Pictures in the 1950s, and he's a fixer. Uh, so basically, he goes around and fixes the scandalous behaviors of of his stars that are on his payroll uh, to keep their name out of the news for doing bad things, to keep them out of the uh, you know the tattle rags, basically. Um, and, and you know, we get all the Requisite you know, things that we're going to see in uh, Hollywood satires. We get this handsome but dopey actor played by George Clooney. We get the gay director played by Ray Fine. We get the gossip reporter who's very overzealous and over the top played by Tilda Swinton. We got Francis McDormand as like this grizzled film editor who smokes while she's in this room filled with insanely flammable film all around her. So it's, it's really, I'm telling you, the setup is 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 promising and the actors are so promising and the directors are amazing. But God, this movie sucked. And if you watch it, I swear, you're not a friend of mine because I told you, I specifically told you, don't watch it. Even if you love the Coen brothers, which I do, I watched this one for you. I took a bullet for you. Avoid it at all costs. Hail Caesar right now is uh, on Blu-ray, on DVD, and also streaming and available for purchase on digital. Shut up. You're going to go out there and you're going to finish Hail Caesar. You're going to give that speech to the feet of the penitent thief and you're going to believe every word you say.
0: You're going to do it because you're an actor and that's what you do. Just like the director does what he does and the writer and the script girl and the guy who claps the slave. You're going to do it because the picture has worth and you have worth if you serve the picture and you're never going to forget that again. I won't forget, Eddie. You're damn right you won't. Not as long as I run this dump.
2: All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Once again, thrilled to have our good friend Andy Sedlak back in the booth with us here on the show. We'll be back in a couple weeks once again talking TV, talking movies, talking uh, talking tunes. I'm going to talk next time about Orphan Black, which uh, right now is running on BBC America. And you've got to check this show out if you can because it's got one of the best acting performances that I have ever seen. On television, I'm talking in history. I'm putting it up there with the. I'm putting it up there with Cranston. I'm putting it up there with Gandolfini. I'm putting it up there with the best you've ever seen. Idris Elba on the wire. I'm putting it up there with any of them. She is that good. So, Orphan Black. We'll talk about Transparent. We'll talk about and uh, and and more coming up next time on the Stream Police. Once again, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Check out the site anytime and follow us on Twitter at Overdue underscore review. Beef up our numbers over there, friends. We uh, we appreciate it very much. Consider it your price of admission, since we don't charge you one anyways. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a couple weeks. Uh, until then, stream on.